Dan. Uh, we pray for their safety, for the safety of the children that want to get out and the families that don't want to live under that brutal tyranny. Lord, watch over them. Um, you have the whole world in your hands, Lord. Uh, we just ask for a hedge of protection around all of them as we reflect on them and think on them. And we ask your blessing upon them. And Lord, this message this morning, we ask your blessing that uh, you would take out of my mouth anything you don't want said, Lord, that it, you would be honored and glorified. It is your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you guys, if you have your personal Bibles, to open up to the book of Romans, first chapter. I'm going to read the first, uh, I guess, six or seven verses, and then we're going to dig into uh, the book of Romans. If there was ever a book for you guys to really pay attention to, I'm going to encourage you to pay attention to this book of Romans. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and you can follow on the overhead. Here we go. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul. of God, which he, that's God, promised beforehand. How? Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In the Holy Scriptures. <clears throat> He's writing concerning, verse 3, his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of from the dead, according to the Spirit, capital S, notice that, of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, <clears throat> through whom we have received grace and apostleship to do what? To, now look at this church, to bring about the obedience of faith <clears throat> among all the Gentiles for his name's sake among whom you also, you also are the called of Jesus Christ. He's writing to who? To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. So let's unpack this this morning. So the real question this morning is, why should we look into the book of Romans? Paul's letter church to this young church in Rome is without a doubt one of the most detailed and most complete teachings of the full meaning of the cross of Jesus Christ. Out of all 66 canonical books, this is one of the most detailed and complete teachings to help us understand the full meaning of the cross of Christ. From the very first chapter, we see Paul begin to unpack the teaching that people, no matter their nationality, no matter they're a Jew, Gentile, no matter the color of their skin, they are all, we are all sinners, and we are all in desperate need of salvation. So Paul unpacks that for you and I and shows you and I 
how this is made possible in this book of Romans. He's clearly teaching us that the only way a person is saved is through a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, there is no other way you will enter heaven except through the cross of Christ. Salvation happens no other way. As we go through Paul's teaching, <clears throat> we will come to learn that people who come to a saving faith in Christ, listen, this is important, especially if you struggle with addiction. You're going to come to learn that people who come to a saving faith in Christ no longer have to live in the bondage and slavery of sin, guilt, shame, and death. They are set free by God the Holy Spirit, and they can have inner peace with the Lord. So Paul, he's writing this detailed letter to the saints in Rome, and then when he wrote this, back when he wrote it, he was hoping at some point to actually see them, to travel down in the area of Spain. So slide three. Let's look at Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Let's really unpack this this morning. I want you to notice some things here. Every word of Scripture is important, even the introduction. But take a look at this. Uh, go back one. Go back to Romans 1.1. 1, 1. There we are. So look at this. Paul, a bondservant. So we have Paul, and you're going to notice this word here. If you can see my pointer, it's the word doulos. Slave of Christ Jesus, Kletos, called an apostolos. See that? A frisomon, set apart for the eugalion. You've heard Bruce and I use that word. The good news, the gospel of God. I want to focus. Notice that Paul does not start at calling himself an apostle. More importantly to Paul, church, he's a doulos, a slave. He's identifying himself to this church in Rome three ways, three words. Bondservant in our English Bible, which is doulos, an apostolos, and set apart. So notice that first word that I'm harping on, this word doulos, bondservant. So what's, we've got to ask ourselves this question. I don't want us to take our 21st century thinking about slavery and dig it all the way down and try to eisegete the scripture. What I want us to do, church, is let's go down, let's go back in time and say, what did Paul mean? What was going through Paul's mind when he was under the direction of the Holy Spirit, penning this letter, calling himself a slave? It's important that we understand the full understanding and meaning of this so that we understand what he meant when he wrote it, not what we think of it today. So the word doulos, it's interesting to note that this word, church, goes all the way back in time, all the way back to the book of Moses, all the way back. So then let's take a moment and travel back in time, and this will be slide four, Exodus 21. This will be four and five, 21 verses one through six. Pay attention, because Paul, obviously, sitting under the feet of Gamaliel, knew the Old Testament. So, Exodus 21. Let's try to understand what is a bondservant, a slave, a doulos. Now, these are the ordinances which are set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh year, he should go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he'll go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, 
then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master, but he shall go out alone. But look at verse 5 and 6. <coughs> but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children. I will not go out as a free man. Look at verse 6. The first thing the master does is he brings a slave to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or doorpost. His master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. Yes, piercings go all the way back to the Old Testament. So let's make sure this morning that you and I fully and completely understand the difference between someone who serves others and someone who is a slave. Let's make sure we understand. You see, church, a person who serves others, that person can come and go as he or she pleases. They could choose who or when they would want to serve. They can have a job and some control over their life. A person who serves, they can own their own things, clothing, property, furniture, money. In today's world, they can own cars. Well, you know, that is somebody who serves. They can be ambitious. But fundamentally, a slave is very different than a servant. You see, a slave has no rights of their own. Every single solitary possession that the slave has to use is the complete and full property of his masters, all the way down to the very clothing on his back. A slave can only go where the master tells him to go and do what the master tells him to do. A real slave has no ambition of his own other, to, other than just to honor and serve his master. A slave did not belong even to himself but he was the personal property of his master. Interesting. In verse 6, we saw a slave owner would actually bore a hole in the earlobe of the slave, and that from that moment on, he would be known as a bond slave. He could have kept his freedom, but church, hear me this morning. He chose to surrender his freedom and remain a slave to his master. How does that flesh out for you and I today? Hear me this morning. It's interesting. Wherever that slave went, his ear proclaimed the character of his master. Let me ask you this. Do you do that? Do you proclaim the character of Christ living in you wherever you go? You see, church, I believe that Paul... He fully came to understand a very important truth. Slavery to oneself is bondage, church. Hear me this morning. Slavery to self is bondage. And that encompasses all kinds of evils. Independence from God makes you a slave to yourself and a slave to the counterfeit system of the world that you and I presently live in. Hear me this morning. Listen up. Lasting true freedom comes only one way for you and I, 
And it comes through the death of Jesus Christ on that cross of Calvary where that blood was spilled. Paul became a slave to the only master that could provide him freedom from sin. Paul first called himself a bond slave. Then I, I hope we understand the importance of that. Everything that you, the Bible says, everything on the earth, in the earth, and above the earth, and under the earth belongs to the Lord. You and I really don't own anything. We really don't. It's all God's. When we try to take possession of it and use it for our own sinful meanings, we become slaves to ourselves and to the world. Then Paul does something else. He calls himself an apostolos or an apostle. The Greek basically means sent one. Now, hear me this morning. I know it's going to upset a lot of my friends, but I'm going to preach it anyway. We could easily stop here and say, oh, there's modern-day apostles, there's modern-day prophets, and we know that there are many who claim that. But I want us to really dig and say, well, let's, what does the Bible say? The Bible is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. Not what does somebody say if they self-proclaim themselves something. What does the Bible say concerning that? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, next slide, I think it's six, says this. An apostle, and this is a correct definition, by the way. An apostle is one chosen and sent with a special mission as the fully authorized representative of the sender. Today we call them ambassadors. So let's make, all right, so let's dig into scripture and say, well, what are the qualifications of an apostle? And let's find out if what they're claiming out there today lines up with what the Bible says. First, scriptures teach us that an apostle had to be someone who had seen the risen Lord. Where does it say that, Pastor Jack? I'm so glad you asked. Slide 7. Acts 1, 20, 21. Therefore, it is necessary that the men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, Look at the last part, verse 22. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So the scriptures clearly indicate that you could not be an apostolos without being a witness to the resurrected Christ. Want more proof text? Okay. <clears throat> Slide 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, trying to validate his apostleship, says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the work in the Lord? Acts 2.32 on the same slide. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. More? Okay. How about Acts 3.15? But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are what? Witnesses. Oh, need more proof text? Okay. How about slide 9? Acts 10, 39, 40, and 41. We are the witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become what? Visible. Visible. Not to all the people, verse 41, but uh, look at verse 41. Sorry, my brothers. Not to all the people, but to witness, but to witnesses who were chosen when? Beforehand by whom? Case closed, Your Honor. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What else did Paul say? Slide 10. How about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21? This is important scripture here. Let's take a look at this. Having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in, in whom the whole building being fitted together, fitted together, is growing into a hagios neos, a holy temple in the Lord. The prophets and the apostles were the foundation. Anybody who's ever seen a building, buildings have a foundation. They don't have a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh foundation. They have one foundation. One. Think with the church. If the apostles and prophets were intended by Christ to continue until he comes back for us, why is it he never chose a second, third, or fourth generation of apostles and prophets? We find nowhere in the 66 canonical books where he continued to practice. The scriptures seem to clearly indicate that an apostle was a person who was specifically commissioned by God himself who had seen the risen Savior. I'm just preaching what the text says. Now, some, of we, some will say, well, there were more apostles in the Bible later on. But they were not commissioned the same way that these original 12 are commissioned that gave us the doctrines of Scripture and so forth. Big difference there. You can see the proof text yourself. How about the second qualification, if that's not good enough? How about 2 Corinthians slide 11, 12, 12? The signs of a true apostle were performed among us among you with all perseverance by what? Signs, wonders, and miracles. The signs, wonders, and miracles back then were given to them to help validate them as apostles. That's why they were given to them back then. So then, church, it would seem then that signs and wonders was also a true mark of the qualification of apostle. Okay, you want a third one? You got it. How about the third qualification? They were given the authority to decide with regard to the teaching and doctrine. And they spoke with authority from Christ himself. Slide 12 and 13. How about 1 Thessalonians 2.13? Paul writing to this church in Thessalonica. What does Paul say? For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you... Now look at the church. Don't miss it. I beg you. That when you received... The word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Don't miss the last sentence, which also performs its work in you who believe. The Holy Spirit never, ever works independently from the word of God. 
When you are not in the Word of God, you are stealing from yourself the blessings that God will pour out to you as he cleanses your mind and transforms your soul with the Word. That's how God speaks to us today through his Word. I'm just preaching what the text says. How about 13, 2 Peter 3, 2? That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. The apostles and the prophets, clearly from Ephesians 2.20 to 2 Peter 3.2 church, were the foundation of the church. Everything else being built upon it. Paul claimed his authority, which he received from the Lord himself. He was preaching as a chosen vessel of Christ. Keep in mind that Paul was the last one we have recorded scripture that was chosen for this apostleship. He did not eat with Christ. He was not in the upper room with Christ. So where did he see him? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Slide 14. Let's look at Paul's account in Acts 26. Be slides 14 and 15. Verses 13 through 17. Here's Paul's account of seeing the risen Lord. Scripture validating Scripture. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Can you imagine that? Shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when, he had all, when, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Curios? Who are you, Lord? Wow, can you imagine that? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up. Stand on your feet. For this purpose I have what? What's it say? I rest my case again. Appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people, from the Gentiles, who I am sending you. Here you have the proof text, church. This is why I humbly do not believe that we have, based on the text that I share with you, modern-day apostles and prophets. Apostles' church are not self-appointed. There is not one scripture that I could find that tells how an apostle and a prophet is self-appointed. An apostle was a man who was given a unique authority. He's a chosen servant of the Lord himself, specifically sent to represent and speak for the Lord. That's why Romans 1.1 1, 1 says Paul, a doulos, a slave of Christ Jesus. Kletos, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So there's one other thing that I want to say before I move on. Uh, Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, uh, slide 16, if you guys got it. Paul, look at Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. He's writing to the church of Galatia. He identifies himself as an apostolos, an apostle not sent from men, nor through the agency of man. Do you see a church? Is it, are you seeing it? But how? Through Jesus Christ and God the Father. 
By the way, that, that little, uh, I'm not going to go into the Granville Sharps rule in Greek, but you can talk to Dr. Carter about it. But notice Jesus Christ and God the Father are co-equal, co-eternal. It's not God the Father and Jesus. Notice that here. Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. A little bit more, Galatians 1, 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it from man, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. So Paul wasn't taught the New Testament doctrine by man. He was taught by Christ himself. God had plans for Paul long before Paul was in his mother's womb. Look at slide 17, Galatians 1.15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, was pleased, verse 16, to reveal his son in me, said I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. You see how this is how important Romans one, one one is. You see how the, the, this all fits together. This is why I want to encourage you to study to show yourselves approved unto God, workmen who are not ashamed, who rightly interpret and divide the word of truth. The gospel message, as we can see from the scriptures, was given to him by the same Lord who taught the twelve when he was here on earth in the flesh. Paul wanted the Christians in Rome to completely understand that he was a full apostle, just like Peter. When he wrote or spoke, Paul did it with the full authority as an apostle, which means he had the full authority given to him from Christ himself, church. So we need to understand that apostles and prophets, again, were the foundation of the church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. A foundation is something that you lay once at the beginning, and it is done only once. Nowhere in Scripture do I see God laying a second or third foundation. Where else does it say that? Oh, okay. Slide 18. Ephesians 2.20. Haven't been built on the what? What's it say, church? Foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus being the what? Chief cornerstone. How about Revelation 21.14? And the wall of the city had 12 foundational stones... And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Notice it doesn't say 24, 36, 48. It says 12. Since we now have the completed canon of the New Testament and the Old Testament, there is no need for this church. We have God's revealed word to us in the scriptures. If you want to hear from God, you want to hear the... You know, I, that, that still, small voice that people pray. I want to hear that still, small voice. Open your Bible. Read it softly. I promise if you have hearing, you'll hear that still, small voice. God speaks to us through his completed scriptures. You can trust your Bible. It will never change because God is immutable. It will never lie to you. It will tell you the same thing tomorrow. It has told you today and next week as long as you are here. You could trust your Bible. 
And you can hear from God when you open it up and read it. So the function of the apostles was to give the authoritative teaching, and we have that. Their job was completed. So the last statement in verse 1 was, Paul was set apart for the gospel of God. So what's going on through Paul's mind when Paul says he was set apart for the Eugalian, the good news of God? That word separated, it's an interesting word, and you know the English word without realizing it. Greek word is aphrizo. And the word contains the root of the word horizo, which is where you guys get the word horizon from. The sun is setting on the horizon, right? But the word off in front of the word horizo means off of or to divide. So that horizon makes a dividing line when you see the sun setting. So when you have aphorizo, you have two Greek words put together, meaning to divide or off horizon. So what is Paul saying using this word? See, I used to think that that word set apart means hagias because, you know, we are kind of set apart. But he doesn't. He uses this word. Paul is telling us that a dividing line has been made. Now, I want you to think a moment about Paul's history. Before Paul's conversion, the Scriptures teach us that Paul was a Pharisee. He was sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was being conditioned and groomed for greatness. But did you ever ask yourself, what does the word Pharisee mean? Well, the word Pharisee means separated one. If you go into Scriptures... Pharisees were the group of Jewish men who were so pompous and full of themselves that they would walk clearly on the other side of the street to avoid contact with us sinners. They were a group that would have nothing to do with sinners. But you see, church, hear me this morning. That kind of separation was a false separation because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It was living a lie. It was a separation made by man, not by God. How about slide 19, Galatians 1.13? What does Paul tell us about himself? He says, you guys heard of my former manner of life in Judaism? You remember how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure? And I even tried to destroy it. But verse 15, but when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, was well pleased. Now, I know, notice how Paul makes it clear that God separated him to preach his life-giving word among the Gentiles. I want you to notice this radical change that took place. Paul went from being a Pharisaical Jew that would try to destroy and have Christians killed to something completely different. He was set on a new horizon, wasn't he? He wanted the church in Rome he was writing to to understand what he meant when he said he was set apart. He wanted them to know God called him to himself long beforehand to be an apostle, long before he was born. Do you know God has ordained every one of your days before there were none? God knew when you would be born, who your parents would be, where you would live, and he knows when you're going to die. He was a servant of Christ, a doulos. This again shows us all the wonderful sovereignty of God. It was an essential part of God's purpose 
and foreknowledge and counsel. Think about this, church, for a minute. The almighty, all-powerful, eternal God knew every one of you, knew all about you, who you would be, who you would become before he created earth. Now think about all that. Okay? He knew all of that. He knows each one of you. You can pay attention to me. Don't worry about that. That's just Satan trying to get in the way. He knows each one of us one by one. And each one of us one is in the mind of God. And he has determined where you would live, when you would live, when you would be born, all of that. Slide 20, Cheryl. Acts 17, 26. Where does it say that, Pastor Jack? What does the Bible say? And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, boundaries, and habitations. By the way, that word boundaries is also the word horizon. So he knew before you were born who you would come, when you would come to a saving knowledge of his son and those who would reject his son. And he finishes this up, and we'll finish up here, with the gospel of God. So let me ask you this morning. What is the gospel? If somebody came and sat down with you, let, let me put it to you this way. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I only have three months left to live. I got a terrible report from my doctor. I'm not going to be here much longer. And they came to you and they said to you, what is the gospel? What happens to me when I drop dead? Where am I going? When we're young, we don't really like tend to ask those questions. But when you get older, they suddenly become so much more important, don't they? Think about it. So I want you to think about that. What is the gospel of God? What is it? What would you tell that person? If God appointed you to talk to them, are you going to be a slave that is prepared to do it? Or are you going to be fumbling around because you spend no time in your Bible and you don't know where it's at? Got quiet in here, Dr. Carter. The gospel, the eugalion is the Greek word. It is the good news about what Jesus has done for us. Literally, the gospel, the good news is Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus? Now, you hear me this morning, you listening around the world. Jesus is the perfect, sinless Son of God who has met every requirement of God's law, which is something that you and I could never do. He went to the cross where all of the sins of everyone who would believe in him were placed on him, transferred to him. And his perfect righteousness was placed on you who believe in him. We call that in Scripture the great exchange. All of your rotten and my rotten filthy sin was placed on Jesus and his life of perfect obedience and righteousness was now placed in your account. Anybody ever go to the bank and they put their Mac card in the machine and it goes, <laughs> non-sufficient funds, you owe. Look at all you owe. You bounced everything. I know none of you all ever had that happen to you. Everything, you're, you're, you're in debt. You're, you're needing, you're wanting, and you don't have the ability to cover it and you're in debt. So what does God do? He takes that sin debt, the Father, and he says, here, I'm going to place it on Jesus. 
And he takes Jesus' perfect account, and then he places on you and I the rotten sinner, so that when we drop dead because of faith in him, we end up in glory. That is the good news. He is the perfect, sinless son of God. Slide 21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For the Father made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. Church, hear me this morning. The very worst of you and I was laid on him, and the very best of him was placed on you and I. And through his shed crimson blood on that cross, he reconciled you and I who are sinful men and women to the Father. By his death on that cross, he alone satisfied the anger and wrath of all of those who would believe in him. Paul spells that out in Romans 3, 24 and 25, slide 22. Paul says, being justified, being made right as a gift, can't earn it by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you see there's no other name there? There's no other way? Whom God, look at verse 25. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiatory or propitiation in his blood through faith. It was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Pastor Jack, what does it mean to be justified? What's Paul teaching us here? Church, being justified means that you and I are declared right the very moment we come to faith in Christ alone. When our mouth is stopped and we come to realize we have no ability on our own to make ourselves right with God, and we come to the end of ourselves, and we know that we are sinners, and we know we deserve death, that's when the transformation takes place. God declares us right by his grace. Salvation is never earned. You can't buy it. It is a gift from God. It comes to those whom he chose freely, and that is how it comes to us. And there's no cost on our part. What does the word grace mean? Greek word is charis. It means unmerited favor. Grace means that you are showing kindness to someone who does not deserve it at all. It is completely unmerited, meaning there is no reason to show it. So what is Paul trying to get across to you and I? He wants you and I to know that there is absolutely nothing in any of us to deserve this free gift of salvation. It is something that we receive freely. In fact, the free gift is given to those who don't deserve it. All of us, if we want to be honest this morning, deserve the very opposite. Hear me this morning as I close. Grace is an expression of the love of God, and it comes from his heart. It arises solely from his love for us without anything in us to produce it. He loves you and I in spite of ourselves. and church, it is unconditional love. He freely gives it to the people who have disobeyed, rebelled, and defiled and sinned against him. And hear me this morning. It is his grace that reconciles us to the Father. So when Paul says, Paul, a slave of Christ, called as an apostle, set apart, for the gospel of God, the message that I'm sharing with this morning 
This is a message that God gave him 2,000 years ago in the scriptures and to all of us. So let me close this morning and ask you to bow your heads. I know that was a lot for one verse, but I wanted you to see what the Bible says so you don't get pulled into different directions. If you knew this afternoon that you were not going to be here past 4 o'clock, you know your time on earth is going to come then, you are going to die. You know there's no second chance. The Bible says it's appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. We keep thinking that when we die there's a second chance, but there is no such thing as purgatory. It is appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. I want you to ask yourself, what would you be doing differently for the remaining three or four hours? What would be different about your life if you knew it was coming to an end? Who are the people that you would need to forgive? That you're not in bondage to an unforgiving spirit? Who are the people that you were bitter against? Who have you wronged? Who's wronged you that you need to forgive? Who are the people that you wronged that you need to make restitution? I know these are heavy questions, but this, this is important stuff, guys. There's one thing every person on planet Earth knows. Someday, whether you're an atheist or believer, you're going to drop dead. There's going to come a time when they're going to hit you with the paddles. You're not coming back. And if everything the Bible taught is real, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. People take Christianity with a real bit of casualness. Like Christianity is a trinket that you fit into your life. Paul was called a doulos. Believe it or not, if you're a Christian... Whether you like it or not, you are a doulos. Your whole life is to be here in such a way that God gets the glory through whatever you eat, drink, or do. You do all to the glory of God. Everything you say and do, he owns your words. Do you know he owns your words in your mouth? You don't own your mouth. He owns it. When you try to be self-autonomous and use your mouth for things that don't glorify him, that's not a very good slave, is it? If you have not surrendered your life to Christ, because all of this that I taught you comes to you through faith, trusting in, relying on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you this morning. If you were to drop that today and you were to stand before God at that Bema seat and God looked you in the eye and said, why should I let you into heaven? There's only one answer to that question. Father, your son bled and died that crimson blood on that cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago and washed away my sin. That is the only way you are going to enter into glory with him. If not, the Bible actually talks far more about hell than it does about heaven. Hell is not Hollywood's version of you're going to be sitting on a beach in the Bahamas simping a minty julep. Hell is a place where there is weeping, cursing, pain. In hell you can see, you can speak, you can hear, you can taste, you can thirst, you have memories. Look at Luke 16 or 17, right in there. Hell is a real place. And at the final judgment, there's something called exaderaskatas, outer darkness, where the beast and the false prophet are and all the unbelievers go. Please understand that hell is a forever deal. 
No president or elected official can write a pardon. There's no parole. There's no ARD. There's no, if I'm good, I can come back. It is appointed once for a man to die and then to judge it. Please understand me this morning. If you die without Christ, you are going to have an eternity of pain and suffering for all eternity. It's not a five-year stint in prison and then you get paroled. It's a forever deal. So now is the time. If God the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, now is the time for you to get right with God. You have no idea if you will be alive this afternoon, this evening, and tomorrow. No clue. You have no idea. I still remember back one of my daughter's friends, a 17-year-old boy, woke up that morning, lived in Pottstown, went about his day. He had no, no clue at 5 o'clock on High Street near the Kmart that he was going to be hit by a drunk driver and killed. That 17-year-old had no clue that that would be the last day he took a shower, saw his family and friends. You don't know. So I want to encourage you this morning. Now is the time to surrender your life to Christ. Now is the time. And, Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, as we go through this book of Romans and we go to verse 2 next week, I just pray that um, we would reflect on verse 1 and understand what it meant to be called a slave of Christ, an apostle set apart. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Look up and receive the Lord's blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his...